We have uh, begun a new series, and Michelle alluded to that a few moments ago. It's titled, Prepare Him Room. It comes from that phrase in Joy to the World that says, let every heart prepare him room. And we know, as she mentioned, there was no room for him to be born in Bethlehem until that innkeeper allowed him to be there in the, the stable, his parents to be there, and the baby was born and placed in the manger. And there's a great reminder to us that while there was no room in the busyness of Bethlehem and, and the confusion and noise of Bethlehem during that census time, we need to have room for the work of God and for Christ to work in and through our lives. And as we looked at that last week, we talked about making room for the unexpected work of God. We looked at the priest Zechariah and how while he was in the temple serving, an angel appeared to him and spoke for God. And the angel said that Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth would have a child and the child would be the forerunner to the gospel. He'd prepare the nation of Israel to receive the, the Messiah, the one who would bring about that good news, that gospel. And so we know that baby that was promised to be John the Baptist. But for Zachariah, it was hard to believe because he and Elizabeth were, were well beyond childbearing years. And, and so he doubted and didn't believe. And the angel said, because you don't believe, Zachariah, you'll be unable to speak until the baby was born. He goes home and he discovers, sure enough, he and Elizabeth are expecting and they have this great joy because it's been a heartache of their lives uh, for decades. And uh, as the baby is on the way, an angel appears to another young woman, a woman in Nazareth, about 80 to 100 miles away from where Elizabeth was. And this young woman, Mary, hears that she's going to be the mother of the Messiah. And she is told that as one of the signs of that is that her cousin Elizabeth in the Judean hills was expecting and uh, Mary knew that was a miracle because her cousin was much older. And the angel leaves and Mary goes to be with Elizabeth. As she's thinking about this miraculous baby as a virgin, she's about to give birth. She knew of one other woman who might understand a miraculous uh, birth that's coming, and it was Elizabeth. And so she rushes to be with her cousin, her cousin, and they spend some time chatting. And in Luke chapter 1, 39 through 56 that we're going to look at this morning, we see this interaction between Elizabeth who's uh, six months along when Mary shows up, and Mary. And um, then we hear from Mary a song that comes from her heart as, after she interacts with her cousin Elizabeth. If you want to open your Bibles or go on a mobile device to Luke chapter 1, we'll begin at verse 39. Our center stage uh, children and students creative arts ministry uh, put together another video like we saw last week that helps us kind of get our hearts and minds in the text. Some of it will directly quote from the Scripture, and some of it is some dramatization that helps us just sort of get, a, get our minds into uh, this framework of this passage. So watch this video of an interaction as Mary arrives with her cousin Elizabeth. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Mary, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. 
Oh, Mary, I would love it if you would stay with us for a while. I would love that too, but I have one condition. You have to make that bread every day because I am starving. Oh my goodness, why do you think I'm making it? I've been eating about a loaf a day myself. I have a feeling that this boy is gonna be big. I have that same feeling here. And what my boy is going to do is going to be so big. Oh, Elizabeth, can you believe that what God has done for the both of us? It seems that when he has purpose for our lives, even if it seems impossible, he can do it. But I guess it's really not about us. It's about him, his story, his purpose. And we get to be a part of that. And I have a feeling that this is going to be the greatest story ever told. Hey, what's taking that bread so long? Patience, Mary. I'm working on it. Also, I've been wanting to eat the strangest things lately. Joseph will bring me lentils and cheese, which used to be my favorite, but now I can't stand them. And now I eat olives by the handful, and I hate olives. <laughs> he is faithful. He is powerful. He is the Messiah. Prepare him room. Isn't that great? I love that. That helps us uh, jump into this passage in Luke chapter 1. If you follow along at verse 39, we're going to talk about embracing grace. If we're going to prepare room for God to work in our lives, for Christ to work in and through us, we have to embrace the goodness of God the saving grace and goodness of God, and the sustaining daily grace and goodness of God. And we'll see that as we look at this passage. Look at verse 39, Luke chapter 1. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise to her. Mary comes in, and Elizabeth confirms and just uh, speaks over her a blessing that indeed, yes, I've seen this promise fulfilled. I'm expecting a child of my older age, Mary, and, and it, it just is a sign that you are indeed going to be the one who brings the Messiah into the world as a servant of God. And, and even as they speak, and the baby, John the Baptist, inside his mother's womb, hears the voice of Mary, we read that the baby leaped in her womb, verse 41, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and then uh, she mentions, uh, as she's talking to Mary, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, verse 44. There's something here that is important for us to note. This is one of the dots. If you connect the dots throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's very clear that God values life, life in the womb, that there is a sanctity to life from the time of conception to the time of death. And in this case, this baby even responds to the filling of the Holy Spirit in his mother and to hearing the, the mother of the Messiah speak. It's important for us when we understand the world from God's point of view and through God's eyes to understand the value of life. That's why abortion, euthanasia, anything that intervenes to disrupt life from conception to death is in God's eyes flawed and wrong and sinful. But at the same time, 
the grace of God comes in to those who've experienced an abortion, those who've gone through that. We even here at Calvary have had support through our care ministry, support groups for those who've gone through abortions. But I would say this, it's really important for us as we grow in the Lord and we understand the world from God's point of view to see through the scriptures the importance and value of life, even in the womb. And that, this passage makes that very, very clear. You know, we can be praying right now, our Supreme Court in the United States and other courts are considering uh, issues regarding abortion. It's important for us to be praying. They say that ruling won't come probably till early next summer, but it's important for us to pray that our nation would reflect those values of God. As the church, as the followers of Jesus Christ, we understand that laws are one thing, but ultimately God would want every person to see life as valuable as they're changed by the gospel and then they make choices to support life as they make choices in their own lives. That's why we at Calvary support a local crisis pregnancy center here in our area and in Simi Valley. As a matter of fact, I was talking to some of the leaders at the Simi Valley Crisis Pregnancy Center, and I just loved hearing them talk about how they reach out to the moms and seek to see them come to know Jesus. And even those who do go through with an abortion, they welcome them back and try to share Christ with them because ultimately the only way the issues like this are dealt with in our society is through his kingdom coming through his followers and for us living our lives in such a way that the gospel transforms our perspective even on life. And this passage is one of those beautiful passages that speaks to that value that God has that we as his children need to have that aligns with his heart as our creator and our redeemer. Again, notice that Elizabeth blesses Mary and Mary leaves that with, with, this, with this fresh perspective and kind of a solidification of what the angel had said to her and what she's about to experience as a young virgin about to give birth to the Messiah. Today, as we look at Luke 1, 39 through 56, I want us to understand this simple thought, that when we embrace the unmerited, undeserved goodness of God extended to us, we become better people and better people make a better world. What is that unmerited, undeserved goodness of God? That's the grace of God. Grace sometimes just becomes a word we throw around. It's kind of religious jargon. For some, it's a deep theological thing that's hard for them to wrap their mind around. But grace is the goodness of God shown to us that we don't deserve, that we can't earn. It's the favor of God he shows us that we really don't deserve to have. And notice that when we embrace that grace, when we fully embrace the grace of God, we become better people. And as we become better people, we, those better people, make a better world. Even changes perspective on issues like life and, and dealing with finances and our relationships. It transforms every aspect of who we are. My friend Ray Pritchard kind of helped me have this concept. He's a pastor and an author, and um, he says it so simply this way, the gospel makes better people, better people make a better world. See, as we come to Christ and grow in Christ, are transformed to be like Jesus and live in love like Jesus more in this world, then we reflect his values, not the values of lust and greed and pride, but we begin to reflect his values in his kingdom. And as we become better people and we lead others to Christ and they begin to see the world from his view and they begin to be transformed and families are changed and neighborhoods are changed and communities are changed and nations are changed and the world is changed. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, this grace of God that's represented, this baby sent to Bethlehem 
This gospel makes better people and better people make a better world. Now, there are two kinds of grace. There's, there's saving grace. This is the goodness of God found in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a gift from God, Romans 6.23 says. And, and saving grace gives us eternal life now and forever. When we receive that good news of Christ, we're made right in Jesus forever. That's saving grace. But there's also then, for those who have received saving grace, daily sustaining grace. This is grace that helps us every day experience the abundant life Jesus promised, a life of joy, peace, and satisfaction apart from whether our circumstances are good or bad. That daily grace, that goodness to us from God comes as we walk with him in his word and in prayer, as we fellowship with other believers, hang out with God's people, we worship together with other believers, we serve him, we experience that daily grace. But we have to embrace God's grace fully and, and part of preparing room in this season for God to work in our lives is to embrace that kind of goodness of God, both the saving grace, if you haven't, and the daily sustaining grace that he offers us. Now, I think there are two things that we're gonna see here in the Song of Mary that's found in verses 46 through 55. You see, Mary interacts with Elizabeth and, and she then expresses this song to the Lord. It's the first Christmas carol. Matter of fact, it's the very first song associated with the birth of Jesus comes from the mother of Jesus himself, herself. It's called the Magnificat because of the first word of her song in Latin being Magnificat. And this song has been sprinkled throughout many other of the Christmas carols that we sing. And you'll find references that Mary makes in the song to the Old Testament, even to 1 Samuel 2, the song of Hannah, as God promised her a child. We're gonna see these two things that we have to embrace if we're really going to fully embrace the grace that God offers us. First, we must humbly embrace the grace that transforms us from the inside out. In this song of Mary, she begins with her own personal perspective, talks about her soul magnifying the Lord, talks about what this means in her life. And there's this hint that this is changing her, even as the angel has spoken to her, even as she interacts with Elizabeth, and as she moves forward by faith to accept this promise and this plan of God for her life, she is internalizing this, and it's transforming her from the inside out. Let's look at verses 46 to 50. This is the song of Mary in response to this great promise that she would be the mother of the Messiah. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Notice all of us need a Savior. I need a Savior. You need a Savior. Mary understood that and she calls, she says, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. For now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. What a beautiful expression of her heart in this first stanza, really, of this Christmas carol. And as we look at this first stanza, you, you sense this this personal reflection and even this internalization of the message and the plan and the promise of God that the Messiah would come through her. I think as we embrace God's goodness and grace in salvation and even then his sustaining daily grace, it begins to transform us from the inside out, transforming us so that the fruit of the Spirit comes out of our lives. We, we live and love like Jesus more. 
And what, is that, what does that transformation from the inside out really look like? Well, first, it's humility. You can, you can hear this as you read the song of Mary. There's humility that's just baked into, it seems, every line of this song. She's, she's overwhelmed that God has chosen her. And when we are transformed by the grace of God from the inside out, humility begins to grow inside of us, especially as we realize, as she did, he chose me. He chose me. Look what she says in verse 48. He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. She was not a wealthy, popular person. She didn't have uh, the most likes on Instagram. She was from a fringe town that you question whether anybody good could come from that town of Nazareth. And she recognizes the grace and goodness of God in choosing her to be the mother of the Messiah. She would respond to Gabriel the angel if you go back a few verses to verse 38. Her final words to Gabriel as he gives her the message that she would be the mother of the Messiah even as a virgin. She said this, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. I am the Lord's servant. Do you see the humility she has? He has chosen me. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the scriptures are clear that God has chosen you. In Ephesians chapter one, it says we're chosen in him before the foundation of the world. I love Ephesians and looking forward to after the new year, we're gonna get into a new series. We're gonna study for about 12 to 13 weeks this wonderful book of Ephesians in helping us understand who we are in Christ in this world. And the book has some great statements in the opening chapter. One of them is that we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. God knew who you were, and, he, and, and God tells us in the book of Romans that while we were still guilty of our sin, before we could ever try to clean ourselves up or try to attempt to win his approval or gain some merit with God, which always falls short, before we could even try that, Jesus died for us. And that's the great love that God has demonstrated to us. Mary understood that. She was a recipient of his grace. You see, this humility says he chose me as a recipient of his grace. And if you have received the saving grace of Christ, you put your faith in Jesus to be right with God, just right now in your own heart, just say to God, thank you for choosing me. He chose me. Just thank him for Jesus. Maybe you're here and say, I, I, I'm not sure I have embraced the saving grace, the goodness of God found in Jesus. Well, you have to acknowledge your need of a Savior like Mary did. And then you have to realize that Jesus is that Savior and you put your faith and your trust, your whole eternal destiny and who you are in Christ. And God makes you his child and gives you eternal life through that saving grace that you embrace by faith. And do that today. Just talk to God and say, I know I need a Savior. I put my faith in Jesus. God will meet you in that moment and make you his child. If you have questions, you want to tell me about that so I can celebrate with you, um, please speak to me. I'll be out on the patio. Our care and prayer team are down front after each service to pray for any need any of you might have. But maybe today you just want to come down and tell them, today's the day I embraced the saving grace of Jesus Christ. If you're joining us online or in, you're in the room and it might be uh, more convenient for you, you can just text the name Jesus to the number below me on the screen. And we'll follow up with you and make sure that you know what it means now to be saved by his grace and to know that you've been chosen in him before the foundation of the world and to understand what it means that he demonstrated that great love to you even while you were guilty in your sin and what it means to be free and forgiven in Christ. 
Make sure you let us know so we can help you in your walk. Child of God, step back with open arms like Mary. You see this posture of hers, it's very open. She's not coming with a lot of complications. She's a simple servant of the Lord. And she says, he has chosen me. There's humility that comes from the inside out as we embrace, fully embrace the goodness and grace of God. But secondly, the humility then gives birth to ministry. This, this humility of who I am and that I'm a recipient of his grace, now I become a channel of his grace. Ministry, he not only chose me, but he uses me. He chooses to use me to extend his hope and grace and love to other people, to meet them in their messiness in their time of need. And to have an impact that goes even beyond my lifetime into my children and grandchildren, to the kids of this community and of this church and the grandkids of this community and this church and around the world. She says it this way in verse 48, the last part, and in verse 49, in Mary's song to the Lord, from now on all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. I'm gonna be used into the next generation. What an incredible thing that God by his grace would take me with my past and my brokenness and my failures and sins, not only save me and forgive me, but now he's gonna use me to help other people who are struggling in this world, who are, who are guilty and, and are, are wrestling with the issues of this life and, and of relationships that are strained and broken. He's gonna use me. And she recognizes that, celebrates that. And when we embrace the grace, the goodness of God, it transforms us from the inside out. Humility is birthed in us and ministry comes out of us. It's a wonderful stanza, this first stanza. Now the second stanza of her song, verses 51 through 55, Mary fades into the background. And now she begins to speak of this child that's to be born and what he's going to accomplish. And she's thinking not just of his the results of his first coming and his kingdom spreading through his people. But she's also looking forward to even what the book of Revelation talked about, talks about and what Old Testament prophets had talked about. She's looking forward to the time when he establishes his eternal kingdom and there is justice and righteousness and he reigns forever. The time coming when he wipes away every tear. There's no more sorrow, no more pain. She moves from how embracing grace has transformed her from the inside out to a posture that still is completely open to God, but now it's a grace that turns the world upside down. A, gra a grace that turns the world upside down. Look at verse 51. Now here we are in the second stanza of this great Christmas carol from Mary's heart to the Lord. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Now notice it says, Mary stayed, we go back to the narration, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Early on we read that Elizabeth was about six months pregnant. Mary stays three months. It appears she stayed until the baby was born and probably for her that was the Final confirmation, God has kept his promise to Elizabeth. God will keep his promise to me. It confirms this song in her heart. Now, in the first part of this song, the first stanza, as I've called it, from verse 46 to 50, 
Mary speaks in the present tense and about what God has been doing and is doing in her life. But it's interesting that as she looks to the future, what this baby is actually going to accomplish in his ministry and his impact in the world, she speaks in the past tense. Notice she says, he has performed, he has scattered. Verse 52, he has brought down, he has lifted up. Verse 53, he has filled, has sent, he has helped. She's using past tense here. Now this is fascinating because she's using a device that some of the Old Testament prophets used. See, some of the Old Testament prophets would give prophecies the Lord gave them and they would talk about them, the things that are to come of Christ and his first coming, his second coming. They would speak of these things, but they would use the past tense. There was a device they used grammatically to emphasize how much they believed that promise, so much so that when they spoke of things to come in the future, they spoke of them in the past tense. And Mary does the same thing here. She's speaking about this child. She's speaking about the impact in the generations to come and ultimately what this child, the Christ child, the Messiah would accomplish in his eternal kingdom. And she even uses what is called in New Testament Greek, the prophetic aorist. She is speaking about things to come in the future, but using the past tense to emphasize how much she trusts God and how much she believes them. It's as if the door is already closed, it's already done. Because if God said it, it's gonna happen. That's what she said to the angel. May your word be fulfilled. And Elizabeth even says to her, you're blessed because you believe the promise. You have, you have latched onto it. And even how she expresses herself in this song is a beautiful way in which she says, I believe, I have trust. And this is where we move into that daily sustaining grace, the goodness of God that we experience as we walk with him. You see, the grace that turns the world upside down first brings down the high and mighty and lifts up the poor and powerless. It brings down the high and mighty and lifts up the poor and powerless. Look at verses 51 and 52. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. That's what he's gonna do eventually in his eternal kingdom. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. When Jesus comes to reign, those who have been proud and arrogant are gonna be humbled. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. Notice the emphasis there. But the, 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 the emphasis that Mary is placing here is that God's grace cannot be fully embraced if we're full of ourselves. You see, speaking in these terms, this is not the idea that he's going to bring people down and pull people up and somehow there's gonna be equality. Equality will come because he is the righteous judge and there'll be justice and righteousness in his reign forever. And so what she's emphasizing here is that these people who are proud and arrogant have these positions of power. They struggle to receive this Messiah, this King. Why is that? Because of their status and their power and their positions. And, you know, you meet people who are firmly entrenched in power positions um, among other human beings and they kind of have a position like this. And so when they're told, you need a Savior, they say, no, I'm this person. I've achieved this. This is my status. This is who I am. And notice there's an emphasis on the pride in their hearts. And when we are full of ourselves, it is hard for us to embrace the grace of God. It's hard for us to embrace his grace, his goodness. And yet we're to empty ourselves and come with open arms, not like I am trusting in my own well-being, I'm trusting in myself I and my status and my position and the influence I have and all the people I know, that's what I'm trusting in. It's not wrong to have those things, but if that's what you're trusting, we've got to empty ourselves of those things 
and come like this to him. And then in the humility and ministry he does inside of us, he begins to make us better people and better people make a better world. We turn things upside down in the way in which we live, distinct and different from others who are full of themselves. We need to be emptied of ourselves so that he can fill us. We gotta make room for him. And sometimes we're what get in the way of the grace and goodness and peace and joy and satisfaction that God wants to ex- us to experience daily as we walk with him. I love how Philippians 2, 6, and 7 describes Jesus coming from heaven's glory down to earth, born in that manger. Listen as I read Philippians 2, 6 through 7 from the New Living Translation. Though he was God, speaking of Jesus, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Jesus left heaven's glory, set aside the independent use of his attributes and the divine privileges he had. And as you watch him as he lived here on earth, encased in human flesh, born in a stable, he lived a life of a servant. As you watch his life, he looks to the Father and wants to use those divine privileges at the will of the Father. And then he looks to the Holy Spirit to be empowered as he serves and uses his own abilities and privileges as God. But he sets those things aside. He leaves heaven's glory and comes and walks in humility among us. He comes into our messiness to meet us there. And we are to live that same incarnational life where we set ourselves aside or one day he will humble us. You remember, both the Old Testament and New Testament says God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. You can't hold on to pride about who you are and expect to experience peace, joy, and satisfaction as a Christian walking with who you are. You have to let that go. There was a great editorial opinion, or should say an opinion piece this week written by David Brooks in the New York Times. I believe it was on Thursday. It's titled, What Do You Say to the Sufferer? It's a great piece You ought to read it. It's very well written. But in it, he quotes Rabbi Elliot Kukla, who tells the story of a woman he knew who had a traumatic brain injury. And because of the traumatic brain injury, she had a lot of balance issues. This reminded me a lot of my mom, because my mom had a traumatic brain injury, and it affected her the rest of her life because she would just lose her balance and just couldn't stand. She'd fall. And back when my mom had the accident that caused the brain injury, they didn't teach you the fine motor skills like they would today. And so when she would fall, she'd fall like a tree. She wouldn't even extend her arms if she tripped. And sometimes she didn't have to trip over a rug or something. My mom would just fall because she lost her balance. And that plagues people with severe traumatic brain injuries. It plagued my, wa- my mom throughout her life. And um, she, if I've said my wife, I mean my mom. I think I messed up in the nine. So I'm talking about my mom here. But my mom had balance issues so much that it actually took her life. She fell and hit her head and was killed because she lost her balance. And so when the rabbi is giving this story to Brooks and Brooks is relating this story, I really tune in and I could relate to what this woman who had a traumatic brain injury and lost her balance and fell a lot said to the rabbi. She said this, I think people rush to help me up when she falls because they are so uncomfortable seeing an adult lying on the floor. But what I really need is for someone to get down on the ground with me. 
I remember when my mom would fall at church or somewhere in public and people would come and pick her up. I remember one time uh, we had taken my mom to the eye doctor. She could never drive because of her injuries. And so dad drove her places and we would sometimes drop her off and sit in the parking lot like an eye doctor getting her eyes checked. I remember it was a summer day in northern Indiana and Troy and I are in the back seat, dad's in the front. And we're just waiting for mom, windows rolled down and all of a sudden an ambulance pulls in. And my dad says, I bet that's for your mother. And we're thinking, an eye doctor? Sure enough, my mom came out on a gurney because she had fallen, and it was very common. But when she would fall, like at church or anywhere like that in public, she would fall down. People would rush, and they'd try to pick her up right away. But my mom needed that moment down there because it was scary. It was, it was messy. It was uncomfortable. She needed that moment. And I remember when people who would get down and actually talk to her on the ground, it really met her and meant something to her. See, that's the beautiful picture of Christ coming to us. He came down into our messiness, and now we have got to set aside ourselves and embrace the goodness and grace of God that he wants for our lives, and he wants us to stoop down and get into the messiness of other people. But if we're full of ourselves, we'll never stoop down. We'll never get into the messiness. We'll never meet people, and we will never be the extension of God's grace into the broken and hurting lives of others. That grace that turns the world upside down brings down the high and mighty and lifts up the poor and the powerless. Secondly, the grace that turns the world upside down fills up those who need everything and drives away those who lack nothing. Fills up those who need everything and drives away those who lack nothing. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things but has sent the rich away empty. What does that mean? And remember, she's speaking prophetically using this prophetic heiress, past tense, it's done, it's, because God said it, it's done. But she's saying there's a day coming when those who are in need and those who are hungry, he's gonna meet all those needs, they're gonna be filled. But those who have all kinds of stuff in this world are gonna be driven away. It's not gonna be that he's gonna cast them away, it's because they don't wanna give up their stuff. You remember the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, you know, how can I know the way to eternal life? And Jesus said, well, sell your, your goods, all of your things, and give the money away to the poor. Jesus wasn't saying to him, that's the way to eternal life. He was saying, you have a big hurdle. You have a big hurdle, you're stuff. And it's so true that we have difficulty even coming to Christ as Savior as human beings when we're full of ourselves and we're full of our stuff and we're trusting in ourselves and we're trusting in our wealth and our influence and our access. God's grace cannot be fully embraced if we're full of our stuff. Just like God's grace cannot be fully embraced if we're full of ourselves. See, the issue here that she's talking about is how much our pride, our arrogance, our positions, our status, our power, our success hurts us in experiencing the grace God wants for us. It's not that those things are wrong, but we just have to let go of those things to embrace him. It's not that having things, a nice home and wealth and affluence is wrong. It's that we've got to be willing to set those things aside to fully embrace the grace of God. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 19, 24. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus didn't say it's impossible for wealthy people, successful people with status and stuff to come to saving faith, and then as believers even to experience daily grace and, and daily faith. He didn't say it's impossible, he says it's difficult. See, Mary's posture is this humble servant. She comes, she's not full of herself. She's not clinging to her stuff. 
And so she embraces this saving grace. She embraces this daily grace that's going to be lived out in her life as she raises this child and eventually watch him go to the cross and watch him be buried and then see him alive and raised and she'll experience new life in him because of that. Now think about this again. Remember, better people make a better world when we embrace God's grace. And what's stopping our influence in the world often is we're not allowing God to transform us. We've received his saving grace, so we know we have eternal life, but then daily he wants us to experience his daily grace, sustaining grace, so that he can empower us to get down into the messiness of others, setting ourselves and our stuff aside to meet them in their need. But many of us aren't like Mary, this kind of posture. You see, uh, I thought this might help with these uh, uh, boxes over here that I got out of my garage, but um, let's, let's say this is the the good news of Jesus Christ, the message of Christmas, the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. This represents the grace of God, the goodness of God to save us, not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. And then it also represents that sustaining grace. If we receive the eternal grace and we feel frustrated and we don't have the peace and joy that God promises, it's probably because we're not embracing the sustaining grace, the goodness of God that he wants us to experience as we walk with him and walk with his church and our brothers and sisters in Christ. So let this be, this Christmas package, be that gift of God's grace in saving us and then sustaining us. Now, if I approach this gift, let's let this box represent myself. Now, I approach this box and I try to embrace this grace. It's not gonna quite work because I'm full of myself. And there are a lot of people who won't receive Jesus as Savior because they can't give up themselves. They gotta do that and then receive Jesus. There are a lot of believers who've received Jesus and then, okay, I'm holding on to this and boy, life is tough and I don't feel any peace or satisfaction. I'm not growing. I'm not experiencing an intimacy with God and I don't know what it is. It's because you're holding on to yourself and who you are and your status. When we fully embrace this grace, we're transformed from the inside out. We fully embrace this grace. The world is turned upside down through our lives that are being molded and shaped and becoming more like Jesus. But it's not just ourselves, it's our stuff. If I say, okay, yeah, I'm free of myself, but boy, I'm trusting in my access and my wealth and my privilege to get me to a certain place and level and I've achieved and I've got all this stuff. Okay, Lord, I, you know all this stuff in my life, um, um, I want your grace and I want your peace and I want your joy. I want that goodness you offer me daily as your child as I walk with you, but I don't want to give up this stuff. I want, well, that doesn't work either. Oops. <laughs> that doesn't work either, right? And some of us try to take all of it, ourselves and our stuff, and, and we lack the blessing, we lack the grace, we lack the peace and joy that God wants for us. We need the posture of Mary in Mary's song. Not full of ourselves, but room for God and Christ to work in us not full of our stuff, but with open arms. And can I just encourage you this week just to pray and say, God, am I getting in the way of what you want to do in my life? Are my dreams and thoughts, my status, my experience, who I think I am, what I've achieved, is that getting in the way of my intimacy with you? Show me what areas, Lord. May your Holy Spirit show me where. And just pray that every day. Am I getting in the way? Am I too full of myself? And then the second part of the prayer each day this week would be, am I holding on to things, relationships, stuff, 
It's not all bad. Matter of fact, remember, Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and he'll take care of the rest. It's a matter of what are we clinging to? You can't fully embrace the grace God has for you until you've released yourself and your stuff and you come as sometimes we do in worship with open arms. All right, Lord, as I open your word, as I talk to you in prayer, as I walk with you, as I serve you, as I hang out with your people, as I I pour into other believers and I serve you wherever I go, all right, Lord, I embrace your grace. Missionary Jim Elliott, who gave his life to reach an unreached people group in South America, of course, before his martyrdom, said this, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What are you holding on to about who you are and your status that's getting in the way of you experiencing the goodness and grace, peace and joy that God wants for you this Christmas season? Make room for Jesus. Let me just ask you, are you so full of yourself and your stuff that you cannot fully embrace the grace of God? Let's be like Mary in the sweetness of her song to the Lord. Let's say with her, my soul magnifies the Lord because he chose me. He uses me. His grace is transforming me from the inside out. I embrace it. Let's be like Mary and understand that what he's promised is gonna take place and we get to live out those kingdom values now in our lives. Let's get down into the messiness with other people like Jesus did and meet them in their time of need and extend to them the grace and hope and love of Jesus. Let's set aside ourselves and our stuff. And as we are better people, then the world becomes a better place as the gospel spreads and turns the world upside down. You know, if you look at history, when the gospel goes into a, 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 a culture, a nation, a people group, it usually spreads. Like it did with the Roman Empire. After the time of Jesus and the apostles, the gospel spread among servants and the working class and the slaves, and then it eventually reached. It took three centuries, but it finally got to the emperor because those who have nothing can easily embrace what God offers, but those who come with status and stuff often see that get in the way of what God wants to do by his grace in and through them. Just ask God this week, am I getting in the way? Is my stuff getting in the way of what you wanna do, the grace you wanna show me in my life? Will you pray with me? Thank you, Father, for Mary's song. What a beautiful song. And may our sole desire be to magnify you, to exalt you because of your son's work in our lives. Thank you that you chose me. Thank you that you use me. Thank you that you want to impact others by my setting aside myself and getting down into the messiness, getting down where people are hurting and meet them there and then help them from that point forward in you to bring the hope and grace you offer them. Father, may I get out of the way. May I not let any of the stuff of my life get in the way of the grace and satisfaction and peace and joy you want to give me. Father, help us to extend that grace and love to our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, family members, Lord. Help us to be people who demonstrate the very love of Jesus, the grace of God in the way in which we live. I think now, Father, of the state of Kentucky and the states there around them that have had these devastating tornadoes. We pray for the families that have been impacted. And Lord, I pray that the followers of Christ in that area would 
would get down into the messiness with neighbors and friends and loved ones and coworkers and demonstrate the grace of God in these moments. May they extend that grace to the hurting. And Father, help us to do that with the people around us every day. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your love and the hope you bring. Be glorified in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.